0: Well, if I went around the room and asked, has any one of you ever had a promise to you that was broken, the obvious answer would be yes. That's part of life. Now, some of us, admittedly, are too gullible. Others are at the opposite end of the spectrum, the other extreme. You've lost faith in human nature and you don't trust anyone anymore. In Genesis chapter 15, we're in 17 now, in Genesis chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abraham. He made an, uh, an agreement, a, a commitment, a promise with then his name was Abram. And then in the next chapter, chapter 16, Abraham failed. Remember, he, they were supposed to have a child, Him and his wife didn't want to wait, so she said, you know, go have relations with my maidservant, Hagar, and then the child will be mine. That's an ancient world custom, but they didn't want to wait for the promise of God, and that turned out to be a disaster. Now, in such situations, when people break a promise, and they do so egregiously, like Abraham did, I think it's common for people to say, you messed up, you messed up so bad the deal is off. And maybe you feel that you've messed up, whether you're here with us or you're watching online, you feel like you have messed up so egregiously with God that, that he's saying to you that the deal is off. But here in Genesis chapter 17, one chapter after Abram's failure, God says to him, dude. Do you think God ever used the word dude? Dude. Dude. The deal's not off. Here in chapter 17, God actually takes the covenant further, committing himself to Abraham, further committing himself to the people of God, further committing himself to you and to me. Once again, we notice that God is the initiator. God is the initiator. Although he gives us commands to enjoy the full blessing of the covenant. Faith in God starts with trusting in God, then shows itself in dedication and commitment and devotion to God. Friends, it's so important we remember this, so important. God does not desire half-hearted devotion with anyone. He doesn't doesn't want a half hearted relationship with any person. He wants a full throttle, deep relationship. And that's why, that's why people get married. Don't get married with the idea of like, well, we're sort of in love. People want to have a deep relationship. But there's legitimate questions that you could have when it comes to God and your relationship with Him. Let's go through a couple. What if you mess up? What if you mess up with God? What if you, if it's even possible, what if you let God down? What if you let God down? What if you're willing to admit this morning that you have been running from him? Maybe your whole life, or you're starting to run from him right now. Let's say you've been running. How can you be so sure that God will take you back? And even if he took you back, you think he'll be like, oh, it's you. How could you be so sure that God would welcome you back? What makes you think or how could you be sure that he would love you? How can you be so sure that God can be trusted, that he will keep his promises to you. I mean, how do you know? Well, I would say there's one simple reason why we can know. Because he said so. And one simple word really sums it up. We'll look at it this week and next week, and it's the word covenant. And so the title of our message today is the greatest promise ever. The greatest promise ever. And I actually believe, and, and I, gosh, I've taught through the life of Abraham, this is my third or fourth time, that I just saw one little thing that I missed until this time, which was the slowest time I went through it, that I think is one of, if not the greatest promise in the entirety of the Bible. That's why I think it's so important if you're part of a community group that you attend this week. So we just talked about it a second, and if you recall, God promised Abram and his wife Sarai a child because he and his wife could not conceive. They were getting old. And his wife suggested the maid. Bizarre ancient world practice. So let's look back one chapter to Genesis 16, 16, and it says this. Abram was six, 80. Sorry, 86 years old. Now remember that number 86. Now you older people, you like that's Maxwell Smart, an agent 86. Okay, you younger people, just remember 86. And I know who's old in the audience. By the way, one of the best shows ever, Get Smart. <laughs> but but remember that number 86, especially you students. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. So the big mess up, he was 86, 85, 86. Now let's go into chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, let's just stop there. Okay, how many students do we have here in the audience? Raise your hand if you're a student. Raise your hand if you're a student. Come on, come on, nice and high. Very disappointing. I was hoping all of you would raise your hand because I am a student. We are a student of God's Word, but we're talking about the ones of you that actually probably study math. So, we're going to do a math quiz. You don't have to yell it out in case you yell it out wrong, you'll be very embarrassed. Especially if you're homeschooled, your mother's sitting next to you, and she's like, I'm a miserable teacher. So he was 86 when the baby, when the child was born. But God said that's he's not the child of the promise. Now he is 96. No, so 96 minus 86 equals 13. We have some really smart adults up here up front. They're like, they think they're little kids. They're like, I'll answer, I'll answer. Okay, how many of you kids got that right? Very good, I'm so impressed. Some of you are still you're, you're in your 50s, and you're raising your hand to your' 60s or older, who knows you're raising your hand. Well, I want to let you know, if you are a student and you got that right, you are following in the tradition of your pastor. When I was in sixth grade, I got the math award. And you think that's funny. I also got the etiquette award. Some of you are like, what does etiquette mean? That means I said please and thank you. That's, why would you say please and thank you so much? Because in my house growing up, if you didn't say please, you wanted something, it did not come your way. It wasn't like pass the ketchup. My mother would go, she just keep eating. Please pass the ketchup. Oh, here, honey. Glad to give it to you. And then if you didn't say thank you, you were going to be hungry the whole rest of the night. Nothing was coming your way. So here we have 13 years of waiting and no sun. No doubt wondering, uh, did they blow it? Did what we did before, was it so bad? uh, Has God canceled us? Is, Is our future so dark? Is the promise of God dead for us now? Once again, we note God is not in a hurry. You know, that's okay if you're not waiting for him, right? But if you're waiting for him, that's a big problem. And we keep saying this, and I hope it's sinking in, that if we're not careful, waiting on God can be very wearying for our faith. So here we are. A lot of us have been waiting on God for... Not even nine months. Maybe longer by the time if you're listening to this on the radio or something like that. But, but many people are, are already wearied out. Imagine 13 years. And Sarai's biological clock is not only done ticking, it's gone. So we need to be careful Because when we want something so bad, it's very easy to start doubting God. And and when we start to really doubt God, it's very easy not to obey, isn't it? And then what do we start to do? We start to rationalize, or even more disgusting, we start to spiritualize our behavior. We start to act like, oh, well, God's cool with it. But here's the reality, and I know you don't want to hear this. (laughs) Some of you might want to go like this. Most of your Christian life and most of my Christian life is going to be ordinary. This is what it is. It's going to be relatively unexciting. You might even say it's boring, although that word doesn't exist in my vocabulary, but you might even say it's boring, and you're going to find out it's just a daily walk of faith. So if we could go back in time 4,000 years ago, I don't think any of you were there, were you? Okay, a couple of you might have been. Uh, No, you're not. So we go back 4,000 years ago, and we just say to Abraham, we join him, Abram, we join him at this age, and and we say, uh, Abram, uh, dude, you know, I haven't seen you for 13 years since you had Ishmael with the maidservant. What's been going on the last 13 years? Well, um, I've been working, paid the bills, ran a lot of errands. You know, got a lot of animals, got to run a lot of errands, paid the workers every week. It's part of the administrative work of having a big business. I. Uh, we worshiped. We worshiped the Lord with our family. We loved God. And um, to be honest with you, man, there was a lot of family tension. <laughs> that whole Ishmael thing, I love Ishmael, but the whole thing with my wife and all that, it, 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 you know. <laughs> But it was, you know, we've just been living. We've just been living. You see, right now, it seems to me, this is just an opinion. It seems to me that the waiting, I did pretty good at that. Usually I go, the the waiting. The waiting and the ordinariness of life is killing the spiritual life of many followers of Jesus it just we can't deal with a life that just appears to be on hold we can't deal with a life where we can't do everything that we want to do where now some of you come from other countries and you're like this is still better than where we came from <laughs> so we don't we don't like to to wait one thing i would encourage you to do is to is to really and this may sound unusual to you is is to really keep some structure in your life. Keep keep some structure in your life. Don't don't wake up and think, "Well, I'll just do what I want today," because you'll end up doing nothing. You know, get up at the same time. Get into your rhythms, keep your rhythms. Pam said to me yesterday, uh, do you, do you want to go for a walk this afternoon? Well, on Saturday afternoons, we typically go for a walk. I'm like, of course, it's Saturday afternoon. We go for a walk. So we do. And so especially in your spiritual disciplines, don't, don't give up on reading your Bible. Don't give up on praying. Don't give up on your community group. Don't give up on your church attendance, whether it's in person or online keep doing the things that are going to energize you spiritually and empower you. For a lot of people I know, God is nagging us with this, 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Sometimes you're like, stop with the faithfulness, God. Leave me alone. He cannot deny himself. That's why we believe what he says. In these days... And just this is just talking to people. I fear, um, I fear a lot of us have been subject to what I call the icks. We fall and prey to the icks. Do you know what the icks are? Politics and Netflix. We we are just. It's just easy to get into the whole political thing. It's easy to just sit there and watch television all day, and. Again, I'm still in the opinion area. I think it's replaced Jesus in a time when I believe that we have more opportunity to grow closer to God than perhaps we've had in many, many years. You say, why why would you say that, Pastor Jim? Because like Abram, God is using the waiting time To show us Himself, God is using the waiting time to show us His power. He's using the waiting time to show us His glory. He's using the the waiting time for us to go deeper into Him to mold us and shape us. You see, here's something that I've realized, and I can't say this is 100% true all the time because sometimes God just throws you in the deep end with the sharks. But a lot of times I've noticed that God wants you and I to be who we are called to be before we go out and do what we are called to do. Can I say that again? Sometimes I've noticed that God often wants you, me, wants you to be who you are called to be before he sends you out to do what you are called to do. Today, for those who let him, even now, he is filling your heart with his promises while at the same time he is killing despair, as he fills you with his promises, killing depression as he fills you with his joy. I'm not saying that's the cure-all. It's a slow process sometimes. But he's also doing something that Pam and I were talking about this week that I, I noticed this about God in my life. And I'm talking with younger people. They're, they're, you know, they're, it's a, they handle crises different. And because they don't have... What a lot of people who've been walking with the Lord for a long time have. That God has not filled their, sa- their spiritual savings account with a lot of faithfulness. Some of us over the years have, have had God fill us, our bank account, with so much of his faithfulness that, that, that we just know he's going to come through. We just know. You remember when I owned my trucking company, I'd have guys on Long Island, and we didn't have cell phones back then, and and I would just, it would be snowing, and we'd have a guy, would have to come over the George Washington Bridge and make it out to Patterson by five o'clock, and I'm like, no way he's going to make it, no way he's going to make it, and sure enough, five to five, he calls me, done in Patterson, over and over and over again, God showed me how faithful he was, you know, and then just starting the church and getting the building here by just really just, just God's hand, could, I, I could nothing we did to do about it, and and then all the different things that have happened to me over the years. Just, you know, this is not the first time I busted my ribs. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I had pneumonia. And we had guys come work at, the, at our house. And, and they, they, they did the floors. And I breathed in some stuff. And I didn't have a voice for two years. I'd, I'd preach two services. And then I couldn't even talk for the next two days and hoped that I'd be fine by Wednesday night. I've had so many different things happen And yet God is always so incredibly faithful. And so when you're older and you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you just get that bank of his faithfulness. Your savings account is full of faithfulness. And you just sit there and go, instead of, oh, this is just another hassle in life, you go, this is another chance for God to show himself faithful in my life to make another deposit in my faithful savings account. So we're doing terrible on verse 1. Let's try again. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. What what, what does he mean? He means be wholeheartedly devoted to me. Uh, He uses this term almighty God. In Hebrew, it's El Shaddai. It means the God who is all-sufficient. And El Shaddai comes to us through the word of God. He comes to the hurting. He comes to the disappointed. He comes to those of us who are wondering what's next. And he simply says to you today, I am El Shaddai. I am the all-sufficient one. I'm here for you. For his part, God says, I will take care of you. I will keep my promises to you, but to you and I, Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I'm really glad that you're here today. But if you're a follower of Jesus, he he specifically says to you, and there's a tension, remember we say there's a tension, God's part and our part, he says, I'm El Shaddai, I am the all sufficient one, and what does he say, walk before me and be blameless, walk. What does walk mean? And the Bible means live before me in and be blameless. In other words, the tension is God says, I'm going to take care of you, but you have a part in this too. You have a part in this too. Now, those of you who've been following on Wednesday night with the book of James, you understand why God says this. We come to the New Testament. We're told that we are, to be sa- we are saved by grace through faith. It's not anything we do. It's our receiving what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. And the New Testament writers quote what we came across in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham, Abram then believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The New Testament writers have the same theology, even quote that verse. But that does not negate right living before God. Actually, being saved by grace, when you you understand it, that God has forgiven you for no other reason than just for the fact that he loves you, it actually embraces right living before God. It, It activates right living before God. It accelerates right living before God, and it empowers right living before God. And so the goodness that comes out of our lives comes out of the empowering of the Holy Spirit and a desire to please our Savior. That's why we say we are motivated by grace, not because we want God to take us to heaven, because he's already promised to take us there. So God says to Abram, to you and to me, to enjoy my blessings, to really experience the presence of me in your life, you'll have to live in a way that pleases me or else you're just going to end up on the treadmill of, sorry, God, okay, let's try again. Sorry, God, let's try again. Not that that's not part of our lives, but usually it tends to be more minor things than major things. You see, the life of faith is not a once-for-all thing. Some people think, well, you just believe once and that's it. That's why I love the term walk that the Bible uses. When you, when you go for a walk, what, what, what is a walk like? Well, if you go, let's say you go on a wildlife walk or something like that, there's a change of scenery, isn't there? One minute you're on flats, then you're, you're going up a high mountain, and then you're, you're coming down. So what's changing? The circumstances of the walk are, are changing. And so everything keeps changing on a walk, and that's the way life is. If, you, if it's just a once-for-all thing, you're going to live off of that old one experience. You're not going to be ready for the new experiences. And, and to walk before God is to have things out in the open before God. To be blameless really means, essentially, to be whole. And together, if you put them together, what, are the, what do they form? They, together they form the passionate pursuit of God. God says, I will take care of you, but if you passionately pursue me, you're going to actually experience me. And this whole obedience thing, while it seems drudgery to others, is not going to seem that way to you. It's going to make a lot more sense. It's going to seem a lot more logical to you. Verse two, God's still speaking, and he says, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly, family. Verse three, then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, well, let's just stop right there. He says, I will make my covenant between me and you. What is a covenant? Well, let's go back to how the ancient world covenants basically worked. They basically work like this. Let's just imagine that a big and powerful nation comes to uh, and, conquers, comes and conquers a smaller one. And they say to the smaller nation, we're going to offer you a deal. And the deal goes something like this. You surrender. We make a covenant with you. But you still have to surrender to us. And because we make this covenant or agreement with you, you get the benefits of the covenant. If you say yes, benefits. If you say no, you die. (laughs) You die. By the way, that's the gospel. (laughs) That is the gospel. God says, if you surrender to me, I will give you the benefits. You put your trust in me instead of yourself. I will give you the benefits Of the covenant, you will live forever, you will not die, but if you say no, then you will die. Notice here, the more powerful one in this verse two and three God sets the terms and expects loyalty to the terms of the covenant. And yet, how many people do you know, and I was one of them for the first 29 years of my life, trust me, how many people do you know who have made a God in their own image and think that they set the terms of their relationship with God? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, again, I'm glad you're here. The Bible actually rarely picks on people who are not followers. It picks on people who say they're followers, but they're really not. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you would say you're a follower, but you are wandering or you're starting to wander, this time period is finally getting to you. You know, we sing we are prone to wander, prone to leave the one I love. This is very important to remember this. We've said this before, but it's so important to remember. It's so important to remember when you talk to people about the Christian faith that God allows you to believe whatever you want to believe. But he does not allow you to pick the consequences for your belief. He sets them. Let me give you an example you have a driver's license. You might believe you could go out and have a bunch of drinks, and you might believe that you're in a good enough place to drive. That's your belief, you're free to believe that. And a policeman pulls you over, police woman, police person, pulls you over, and the breathalyzer disagrees. So you're free to believe you can drive that way. But you are not free to pick the consequences for your belief. There will be a judge who will pick those consequences. Again, that's the gospel. But if you want the best that God has for you for all eternity, His call to you today is surrender to Him and surrender to His love. And so in verse 3 we see rich and powerful Abram on his face surrendering realizing that God is holy and he is not and realizing this this is a big step in your Christian walk that God does not negotiate the terms of the surrender. I find it Interesting that Abraham or Abram both, I keep saying Abraham, uh, Abram, Abraham, I won't have to anymore, so keep correcting myself. I, I find it interesting that Abram both sees God and hears God, something we may overlook when we read our Bible. Perhaps we need to be more intentional in our Bible reading. For some of us, that means we need to read our Bible, and some of it means we need to read it differently, and we should be not just reading but listening and looking for hearing God's voice and seeking God's face. A couple weeks back, something like this. Don't don't think I'm spiritual. It takes about 15 minutes. A couple weeks back, I, I read cover to cover the book of Ephesians. 15 minutes, 17 minutes, something like that. didn't take long at all. And I was done, and I read it. And I just felt this overwhelming sensation saying to me, You read it, but did you hear my voice? And so then I went back and read it, and maybe it took a little bit longer, not much. But instead of really kind of trying to absorb every little thing, I just read it to hear God's voice. What a difference! What a difference. Verse four God's speaking. He says, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. Hallelujah. <laughs> for I have made you a father of many nations. That's what Abraham means. Now remember, he's, him and his wife don't have any kids yet. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Just imagine him like, like, when do I remind him I got no son with my wife? And I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. Notice the great promise made to Abram and all true worshipers of God. He says, my covenant is with you. Do you hear that? God was from Brooklyn. He'd go, I'm talking to you. My covenant's with you, yo. Right? He says, my covenant is with you. Can can you hear God saying that to you? Not, Not did you read it. Not did you see it on the screen. Not did you hear me say that. But did you hear the voice of God saying If you've put your trust in my son Jesus, my covenant is with you. You see how personal God is. So he changes Abram's name to Abraham because he changes his status. He gives him a new name. Now, this might be very, very silly to some of you, but I grew up my whole life, and I'm, I'm James III. So we were constantly trying to figure out what my name would be. Because, I mean, you, you, if, if you came out and, and, you know, my mom yelled, Jimmy, Jimmy, you might as well just be yelling, Bob, Bob. I don't, I don't answer to Jimmy. Some of you are probably, like, Jimmy, Jimmy, You're like, gosh, he's so annoying. He doesn't even look at us. It's my dad's name. You know, my grandfather went by, went by James. And so, you know, they uh, trying to find my own name. I wanted to be called Jim. My mom didn't like that. She's like, you're five. You're going, hey, Jim, you're five. But it can't be Jimmy because that's my dad. But, you know, you go through all of these names growing up. But it was never until I was a Christian that people started calling me Jimbo. Never in my whole life. There's somebody back there laughing because she was in the youth group and people used to call me Jimbo. You know, many many years ago. I won't tell everybody how old you are now. (laughs) And you know, it's funny that when I went to Calvary Chapel Old Bridge, and there was you know before that there was select people that called me Jimbo. Not many, but a few. When I went to Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge, uh, I'd meet people, and they'd say, hey, man, what's your name? And I'd say, it's Jim. And they'd turn around and go, hey, bro, did you meet Jimbo? <laughs> Everybody just started calling me Jimbo. It's like, I had this new name. It's like, God, did you? I was always like, God, did you give me a new name? What's the, what's the deal? I still go down there today, I went there to speak one time and, and one, of the, one of the kids that was, guys that was in the youth group is a pastor now there, introduced me as Jimbo. So now I know some of you are going to start calling me Jimbo. It's Pastor Jimbo to you people. <laughs> but God gives him a new name. And what God does with this very flawed man, Abraham, is absolutely amazing. He says, nations and kings will come from you. I mean, born to you and your wife. I mean, he's he's 99, she's she's 89. He says, born to you and your wife will be nations and kings. How do you explain that? Well, the old expression is this, if, if you can explain it, then God didn't do it. So I, people say to me, so how did you become a Christian, man? And you used to be like party animal, and then all of a sudden you're this guy, and you're like, boom. Just, wow, how did that happen? I said, am I allowed to use the word Jesus, God, Bible, Holy Spirit? No, I go, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what happened. More than that, the king of kings who he's probably bowing before right now, will be his great, 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 great grandson born on the first Christmas day. Once again, God is reminding Abraham, reminding all committed followers of Jesus Christ, I will keep my promise to you. Even though it seems like I'm not, even though it seems like it's dead, even though it seems like it's impossible, I will keep my promise to you But let's imagine the whole thing for a moment. You're done with the conversation. You're like, yes, this is great. You go home. There's your wife. Sarah, you know? Oh, here he comes. How was your day, Abram? Well, honey, don't be calling me Abram anymore. I want you to call me Abraham. (laughs) She's like... I know what that means. That means father of many. We don't even have one kid. Well, you see, here's what happened today. You can just imagine her looking at the hired hands in the kitchen going, oh, no, he's been talking to Yahweh again. And then looking at him going, I'm not moving. We're not moving again. No, 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 honey, I I was talking to El Shaddai. I was talking to the all-sufficient one. And then it begins to spread throughout all of his servants. Remember, we had his servants, and he had a lot of people watching all his his cattle and stuff like that. What do you think it was like for them? (laughs) Did you hear what the boss wants us to call him now? Father of many. He doesn't even have one kid with his wife. Father of many. Now he wants us to call him the father of many nations, the father of multitudes. This is funny, man. Cash those checks quick. The old man's losing his mind. (laughs) Verse 7, And I will establish, God's still talking, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants, some versions say offspring, after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you. Some versions say to be your God. And your descendants after you. So he says, "I'm your God and I will be their God." I'm not going to be everybody's God, but the people that are your descendants and we learn in the New Testament that it's by faith we are his descendants. Verse 8, "Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land which you are in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan." That's not happening now either, is it? It's not happening now either. They don't have the land. As an everlasting, some versions say, eternal possession, and I will be their God. Now hang with me on this. If verse 8 sounds familiar to you, Genesis 12, 7, God said this. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land... And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Can I ask the sound guys to keep verse 8 up on the screen or not? There we go. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land which you are a stranger all of the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God. So we we look carefully there he says I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. Now, when we look at verse 8, can we throw back verse 8 back up there again? He says, I'm going to give it to you somewhere and your descendants. There we go, right at the beginning. I'm giving it to you and your descendants after you. So they're going to get the land, right? Abraham, you're going to get it, and your descendants are going to get it. It makes a lot of sense. And then he says in chapter, in verse 7, I will be God to you. Big statement, big statement. You might, might want to underline that one in your Bible. And in verse 8, I will give the land to you. I will give the land to you, Abraham. Now, for those of you who are really, really careful in this stuff, back in chapter 15... Again, stay with me. God told Abraham that he would not get the land because his people had to go down to Egypt for 400 years. Aha! Bible contradiction. Or he's actually telling Abraham, you're going to get the land. When you rise from the dead, that's when you're going to get it. One day, Abraham will return to the promised land. In Hebrews 11, it tells us about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. It says, verse 13 through 16, these all died In faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. So here the New Testament tells us that not even death can stop Abraham's eternal inheritance, eternal life, or it can't stop yours. Now, when we get to Genesis 22, God asks him to kill his son Isaac. And Abraham's just is doing it, and, and we're like, what is he doing? Well, in the New Testament, Hebrews 11 tells us that he assumed and believed that God was going to raise him from the dead. So, so what is the greatest promise ever? What is it? Well, it's tucked in verse seven: "An everlasting covenant to be God." To you. An everlasting commitment. He says to Abraham, he says to you, he says to me, I am going to make an everlasting commitment for all eternity to be God to you. Every promise that you see in the Bible essentially comes out of this promise that I'm making this promise to you. For all eternity, if you are my child, there is not a better promise anywhere in the whole universe. Forget about anything else that we have. This, A million years from now, this will be the promise that we will think, that was the greatest promise ever made. How did I miss it? Please, I hope you're not going to miss it. God is pledging himself to his people, an eternal pledge that cannot be broken, that nothing can stop it. Let me ask you, friend, do you want to experience that joy? Here, right now, do you want to experience that security? Do you want to experience that assurance? If you're answering yes, El Shaddai simply says this, walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. Enoch walked with God and he was no more. Noah was blameless, the scriptures tell us, before God. It's my grandson's name, Noah. I don't think he's blameless before my daughter, but that's another story for another day. And so we try to see this with spiritual eyes as we look at the cross. There at the cross, Jesus takes his commitment to you and to me all the way. It's not a half-hearted commitment. He takes it all the way to death. And God is offering to you himself through the person of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and your resurrection from the dead. But there will be no negotiations on the terms. And that, of course, is the hard part of the Christian message and why so many people don't want to hear it. And why God has, well, not God, why so many pastors sadly have edited out of their messages. This is the reason why reasonably good people struggle to come to Jesus because they don't think that they need a Savior, because they don't have any understanding of the holiness of God. And so they don't want to turn to God. Confess their sins, ask for his forgiveness, and put their trust in the perfect Son of God who rose from the dead and died on the cross for their sins. Abraham had 13 years to think about why he needed God. And then God shows up to this guy feeling like a big failure and simply says this to you and to me. Hey man. My grace is greater than your failure. In fact, it's not even close. And I'll take you today, and I will gladly love you. And I will gladly make you my son or my daughter if you're willing to put your trust in me. And that's just not for the first time. That's something we do over and over again. You see, so many people think they don't need it, but they do. You see, our failure shows us our need for God. And it's also how we can see, our, in our failure, we see how God wants to forgive us and change us and make us his child and make that big-time promise to us to be God to you forever. So we all have a choice to make today, every single one of us, me too. Do we want to destine ourselves to the consequences for our unbelief or do we want to see the greatest promise ever, God himself? Now the question is this, What are you going to do with that? Will you continue to be bombarded and believe the promises and lies of the culture which keep changing all the time? Or will you continue to believe the bombarding of lies that just seem to dwell in your own mind? Or will you believe God? The one who doesn't? lie, the one who doesn't break promises, the one who can always be trusted, and will you put your trust in Jesus Christ, and will you be part of that everlasting covenant where he will be God to you both now and forever? Well, let's pray.